Today on the Matt Wall Show, Joe Biden goes to Buffalo to exploit the dead for his own political gain. Also, a pro-abortion activist at a congressional hearing claims that men can get pregnant. There are several important clips from that hearing that we'll watch and discuss today. The media is now panicking over a new virus, monkeypox. Should we join them in their hysteria? No, we should not. We'll talk about it. And MSNBC warns that homeschooling is a secret plot to destroy the public education system. They're wrong about that. It's not a secret. In our daily cancellation, a theologian says that it's better for black babies to be aborted than adopted by white families. This is what passes for theology these days. We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. As rates rise, the best thing you could do is pay off debt before it gets worse. You cannot let larger interest payments drag you down. This is why it's very important to take action right now. Call our friends at American Financing and take advantage of a free mortgage review. It's a 10-minute call where you'll learn about custom loan options that can save you a great deal of money. Look, there's no pressure, there's no obligation, there's no upfront or hidden fees. All they ask is to have a simple conversation around ways to save up to $1,000 a month, plus tens of thousands long-term. You don't have to uh, reset your loan to get those savings, and you can choose any term, 10 years and over. That way you're not wasting money on years you don't need. So you're saving money. Uh, it's, it's quick, it's easy, all of that. There's no reason not to do it. Think of how much that can help. Then make the call to American Financing to learn more. Now, if you start soon, you could close in as fast as 10 days until you're saving money uh, fast. And this is what, something we all need right now. So what you gotta do is call 866-569-4711. That's 866-569-4711, 866-569-4711, or visit AmericanFinancing.net, NMLS, 182334, NMLS, You know, we know and uh, will often remark upon the fact that President Joe Biden is a senile, arthritic, brittle old Mr. Magoo who can barely speak or walk or feed himself. He has the awareness and governing ability of a moldy loaf of bread. He's an ancient, decrepit, feeble old loser. This we know, and you know, these are important points that we should raise and often do, but let's not allow that to distract us from the fact that Biden is also a morally vacuous huckster and manipulative con artist without a shred of integrity or decency. He is decaying in front of the world. His dementia has become a global spectacle only because he put himself in this position due to his insane lust for power and prominence. He's pathetic then, but not pitiable. There's nothing to pity. He's done this to himself and to us, to the entire country and the world. So this is all important to, to establish as we consider Joe Biden's trip to Buffalo yesterday. Biden, of course, never saw fit to visit the victims in Waukesha where a crazed black supremacist mowed down and killed six white people, including a young child. As you recall, the White House said that uh, they didn't have the resources or assets to manage a trip of that kind. Though yesterday, the new press secretary, Karen Jean Pear, uh, justified this by reminding us that um, Biden has been to many communities. You know, he has lots of experience visiting communities. It's just that one community up in Waukesha that he decided not to visit, you know, because of the assets and resources. Somehow, though, the regime was able to scrounge together all of the assets and resources needed to not only visit Buffalo, but also deliver a televised primetime speech. So within a month, they didn't have the assets and resources to even stop by Waukesha and um, maybe have some words of condolence for the families of the victims, maybe the parents of the child who was mowed down. Didn't have the assets and resources for that. But within three days, they had all the assets and resources to go, have a big spectacle, uh, you know, visit the, the victims, and then, but then also give a speech. Climbing atop the dead bodies, using them as his political platform in one of the most cynical and exploitative displays we've yet seen from this White House, and that's saying a lot, Biden railed against white supremacy, calling it a poison, 
He bravely denounced it and then warned that it has been allowed to grow and fester right before our eyes. Then he pulled out his left, the, the left's new favorite boogeyman, replacement theory, quote unquote, and paraded it around for a while. Let's watch that. What happened here is simple and straightforward. Terrorism. Terrorism. Domestic terrorism. Violence inflicted in the service of hate and the vicious thirst for power that defines one group of people being inherently inferior to any other group. A hate that through the media and politics, the internet, has radicalized, angry, alienated, lost, and isolated individuals into falsely believing that they will be replaced, that's the word, replaced, by the other, by people who don't look like them and who are, therefore, in a perverse ideology that they possess and being fed lesser beings. I and all of you reject the lie. I call on all Americans to reject the lie. And I condemn those who spread the lie for power, political gain, and for profit. Well, he certainly knows a thing or two about spreading lies for power and political gain. So we should, uh, as they say, trust the experts, although can't really trust them here. Now, is it true that the shooter in Buffalo was a white supremacist, as Biden claims? Yes, that's clear enough from his words and actions. Is it true that Biden or anybody else in the Democrat Party actually care about racism, extremism, or terrorism? No, that is clear enough from their words and actions, or lack thereof, as the case may be. The Democrats are, of course, very selective in the forms of violence, terrorism, and racism they denounce. Nothing to be gained politically from denouncing or even so much as acknowledging black supremacy, anti-white racism, and left-wing terrorism, all of which are significantly more common and mainstream than white supremacy and anti-black racism. Significantly more. Even when it comes to white supremacy, Biden's interest is not in simply denouncing it. His greater point is to denounce his political adversaries by connecting them to it and to this shooting. Never mind the fact that the shooter is an incoherent lunatic who apparently wore a hazmat suit to school for a week. He had threatened to shoot up his school a year, a year before. A few weeks before the grocery store attack, he beat a cat to death, beheaded it, and then buried it in his backyard. And he bragged about this online, which is how we know that this happened. And he said that he felt blank after slaughtering the animal. Now, the shooter may have been racist. He was. But that's not the principal factor that drove him to become a mass murderer. He was and is a psychotic, violent, empty, nihilistic lunatic who, like every other kid in America was locked in his home for months on end and encouraged to live his entire life online, even more than he already had been, presumably, up to that juncture. And it was, and that's relevant here, even though nobody is talking about it, because it was at that point that the shooter, as he says in his rambling manifesto, quote-unquote, which, by the way, I don't like that word for these, uh, for these psychos who go on, on shooting sprees. Calling it a manifesto, to me, seems to, like, legitimize it. Um... But that's actually what the left wants to do. That's what the media want, want to do. But it, it, as we're informed, he first, out of sheer boredom, being locked inside, started going down the various internet rabbit holes on 4chan and other sites. He developed through this process a totally unintelligible worldview 
that no honest person could describe as right-wing or left-wing or any other wing. He's a demented, vacant human being, killing primarily for whatever sick thrill he derives from it. That's why he beheaded a cat only a week, a few weeks before. And you took this kid, then you put him in his house, isolate, uh, spending all the time online. But that's that's a connection. That's an issue that we're not. We're just we're 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 not going to talk about that at all. Now, Democrats want to turn this raving lunatic into some sort of politically engaged conservative who watched Fox News, even though he specifically said that he hates Fox News. But that's what makes him useful to them, and so that's what they're doing. This is obviously an attempt to silence their high-profile opposition, but it's also, like Tucker Carlson, but it's also a message to everybody else. They're railing against replacement theory because replacement theory is yet another thing that can be turned into a, a phantom for them. It's another umbrella which they can spread out over top the heads of millions of Americans. And that's what they want to do, and that's what they are doing with it. Just like white supremacy. It's like, unfortunately, it, it's not even coherent anymore to talk about white supremacy because although there are actual white supremacists that exist, like the one up in Buffalo, you know, sadly, the left has taken that term and they've applied it to just millions of people all at once. I mean, they've made everything into white supremacy. So then when an actual white supremacist comes along, and thank God there aren't very many of them, but when an actual one comes along and they say the word white supremacist, it doesn't mean anything anymore. And this is what they do with these labels. Doing the same thing now with the replacement theory. Now, any criticism of the left's racial agenda, and especially any critique of anti-white racism, becomes replacement theory. So Biden is saying to the public, we in the Democrat Party can talk openly about demographic shifts. We can declare the demographics is destiny. We played all that, the whole montage for you yesterday of people in the media, liberals saying that. Uh, We can literally cheer out loud at news that the white population is declining. We can work to explicitly marginalize and exclude certain races from institutions, namely white people, also Asians in certain institutions. And we can do all of this, but you cannot notice it or point it out. Because if you do, they're saying to us, then you're lumped in with a mass-killing psycho who wore hazmat suits and butchered cats for fun before shooting up a grocery store. Threats and emotional blackmail. It's all these people have. They can't directly silence you to the extent that they want, but they can manipulate, coerce, and shame you. Whatever it takes to stop you from stating the obvious. You know, yesterday it was announced that the so-called disinformation board is being put on pause, quote-unquote, and the newly appointed minister of truth, Scary Poppins, will be stepping down. The White House hilariously blamed disinformation for shutting down the disinformation board, which, as I said on Tucker's show last night, it's like it's like a, a fire department closing down shop because there was a fire. You know, it's like the, you know, the new fire department opens up in your town, and then you have a fire in your house, and you call them, and they say, oh, I don't want to deal with the fire, and then they just they, they shut down. They close. They close the entire thing. If the disinformation board is supposed to fight disinformation— then why didn't they fight it? I mean, the first thing it ought to be able to do is fight the disinformation about the disinformation board. But of course, as we know, what we were saying about the disinformation board was not disinformation. When they say disinformation, what they really mean is inconvenient information. Just as Michael Scott defined hate speech as speech I hate, which is also how liberals define it, incidentally, false information is now defined by the left as information I wish was false or feel is false. 
Or here's information that it would be better for us if it was false, and therefore it is. And yet the lesson here is that all we had to do when it came to the disinformation board to take down Biden's ministry of truth, all we had to do is notice it and point at it and say, look at what they're doing over there. It took just a little bit of sunlight and the thing shriveled and died away. That's how you know, by the way, when, you, when, you, when someone is doing something and then you notice them doing it and they stop. That tells you something about what they were doing. I know this as a parent. Like I walk into a room and the kids look like they're, they're up to something, up to no good. But as soon as I walk in, they just stop whatever they were doing. What were you guys doing in here? Bad, nothing. Well, you know 100% certain it's nothing good, whatever it was. Now, we still have that power as Americans, to some extent anyway. Which is why the tyrants rely so heavily on fear tactics and emotional coercion and shame. But they have no shame themselves, which is why they'll even use a mass shooting to their advantage. Whatever it takes to scare you into silence. Now let's get to our five headlines. Well, a new virus just dropped, grabbing all the headlines. Uh, I'm sure making COVID pretty jealous. This is from Fox. It says, Massachusetts health officials confirmed on Wednesday that the first case of monkeypox, a rare but potentially serious virus in the United States so far this year, has been uh, confirmed. Monkeypox causes similar symptoms to smallpox, including fever, headache, muscle aches, exhaustion, chills, and skin lesions. At least seven cases of the virus have been reported this month in the UK, health authorities have said. Uh, The individual who contracted monkeypox in Massachusetts had recently traveled to Canada, and officials said they're conducting contact tracing. Um, Now, this is another, so there there are some similarities that we we can already see here, which is, uh, remember, we heard about, we we first heard about about COVID, and then there was that that virus lab right there in in Wuhan, and we're like, is there a connection? And, and of course, we were too told for years, oh, no, there's no connection. Until finally they said, you know what, it might be connected. Um, so similar thing here, it's like there was that, it wasn't there that case of some monkeys that escaped in Pennsylvania a few months ago, and then someone got in contact with them and became sick. That's up there in the Northeast, and then in Massachusetts, you got the monkeypox. Is there a connection? Well, if there is, they're, they're not going to tell us. And it'll be, they at least won't tell us for a couple of years. It's going to be conspiracy theory until one day it's not. Uh, now, we're also told with monkeypox that uh, it has a 10% fatality rate. And that's all over the headlines too, you know, 10% fatality rate. Well, one thing we should keep in mind is that the monkeypox is, uh, when, when, when we hear about the fatality rate, what they're really telling us is this is the fatality rate in Africa. And the fatality rate for everything is higher in Africa. So keep that in mind. And here's the other thing to keep in mind. When we, if we start seeing more headlines about this, about the monkeypox. There are always going to be exotic, scary de- diseases circulating through the global population and the national population. That is always going to be the case. Like you could scare yourself anytime you want. And it does seem like some Americans have this insatiable desire to be terrified all the time. And so if uh, that's how you get your kicks, then you, the good news is you can go on Google anytime and look up exotic diseases and you'll find that there's a lot of them all over the place, including in America. So that's always going to be the case. 
Right now, there's what they're telling us is one case of monkeypox in the entire United States, a population of 330 million or more. And um, that gets national headlines. It's totally unsustainable. You can't make, we're going to make national headlines over every, I guess so. Like every scary disease that even one person gets in this country, it's now going to be national headlines. You just have to decide. The decision you have to make, uh, and this was a decision that we all confronted with COVID, and hopefully you made up your mind then, but if you haven't, then you got to make it, make it up now. Um, just decide, are you going to allow yourself, allow your life to be taken over and dominated by fear or not? A lot of scary things out there in the world. A lot of things that could kill you. And the, the really... The scariest thing of all is that there are a lot of things that could kill you, and one one day, one of those things will kill you, like 100%. So your fatality rate is will be, your personal fatality rate for life, for living life, is 100%. But are you going to allow yourself to be dominated by fear over that, or are you just going to live your life? That's the decision you have to make. And here's another thing you can ask yourself, just kind of, um, and I'm not saying that this, that this, is, uh, that this works 100% of the time. But whenever the national media is, is uh, trying to stir up panic over something and they're telling us about something, making a big deal out of something, um, one thing you can ask yourself is, if this was 100 years ago, would I have heard about this event at all? Or would I have potentially gone my entire life and never heard about it? Like if it's 100 years ago and you live as I live in Tennessee and one person in Pennsylvania had a scary disease, I would just never, ever be aware of that. I'd never know. And I'd live my life and I'd be fine not knowing that. If somebody in your local community has a scary communicable disease, then you, even 100 years ago, you would have found out about that. So, again, I mean, there, there are things that uh, could be happening way out there in the world that don't immediately affect you right now that you should know about. But the problem with, with living in the Internet age is that we're just being bombarded by all of that information constantly. Like 99% of it, you don't really need to know. All right. Um, the media is uh, moving on here. The media is doing the usual number on Republicans who voted against the, quote, Access to Baby Formula Act. That's the name of the act anyway. And uh, they named the act that, which means that you can't vote against it because they, that's what they call the act. So if you vote against the bill, then you're voting against access to baby formula. Who could be opposed to accessing baby formula? Well, nine Republicans did vote against it. And of course, people on social media, including some conservatives who just like always fall for this, where there's some bill with a certain name that sounds like everybody should agree with it, and then a few Republicans vote against it, and then even conservatives say, well, why would they vote against this? This is, they must be, these are supervillains. They, they don't want people to get baby formula. Well, here's what the act actually does. Uh, it says, uh, the Newsweek article says, nine Republicans in the House of Representatives have voted against a bill that aims to facilitate the purchase of baby formula for those on low-income federal support programs. The Access to Baby Formula Act, also known as H.R. 7791, would allow low-income women to buy more baby formula through the Federal Women, Infant, and Children Program. Uh, it received uh, bipartisan support. Everyone voted for it except for nine. The no nine lawmakers who voted against the bill were uh, Andy Biggs, Lauren Boebert, Matt Gates. um, Louis Gourmet, uh, uh, Gomer, there we go, uh, Paul Gozar, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Clay Higgins, Thomas Massey, and Chip Roy. Another rule, we're doing rules of thumb today. Another rule of thumb is, is uh, and again, nothing could be 100%. No politician especially is right 100% of the time. But if Thomas Massey votes against a bill, 
you should definitely take a second look at it because he's rarely wrong on these kinds of things. Uh, and as it turns out, I don't think he was here either. I don't think he was wrong on this. So this is a, a bill to expand baby formula access for people on government entitlements. Well, how about solving the problem for everyone? Okay, I think that's kind of the issue with the bill. Why are we singling out a certain sliver of the population who are on government entitlements and expanding access for them? How about everyone? Solve the problem for everyone. Don't single people out and, and assign special privileges when it comes to baby formula. No, the issue is that there's not a bit enough baby formula for everybody. And there are actually babies in the hospital right now because of malnutrition. I mean, we have in the United States of America in the year 2022, I'm not usually one to pull out the, it's the year 2022 thing, but this is one time where I think it applies. In the year 2022, in, in modern Western society, we should not have babies going to the hospital because they don't have enough food available. And we do in Biden's America. And this is a problem that affects everybody. It should be solved for everybody. Okay? And, um, and it can be solved because this is a problem largely created by the FDA. As we've talked about on this show, they have, there are many different brands of baby formula available all over the UK that are perfectly safe, even arguably healthier and better for babies than a lot of baby formula used here. And the FDA has stopped that baby formula from being imported to the United States. So look at them. How about get them out of the, the way and solve the problem for everybody? Well, there was a con congressional committee hearing on abortion yesterday. Um, I'm going to play a few of these clips, and we'll start with this. This is a pro-abortion activist named Amy um, Beatty, we'll call her, being questioned on the exact difference between a born child and an unborn child. And uh, kind of going through the process here, you know, starting with uh, an adult and then going all the way down to the moment of birth, you know, and, uh, and then you stop the tape right there at the moment of birth. There's a baby. There's a human being. Now rewind the clock another five seconds. What changes? Isn't that still whatever that being was at the moment of birth? Was it not that five seconds earlier? That's the, that's the line of questioning here, and let's see how it goes. So, so abortion should be allowed then, by your definition, for any reason, for any purpose, at any stage, right? I trust people to make decisions about their body, and then when relevant, I think that they need to consult their medical practitioners okay. and not is, if it is, Listen, let me just ask you this question. If it is not lawful and morally acceptable to take the life of a 10-year-old child, I assume you agree with that, right? That would be wrong, correct? I believe that. Okay. That is and wrong. a two year old child, same thing. That would be murder. We would all agree that's wrong. Then what is the principal distinction between the human being that is two years old or nine months old or one week old or an hour old than one that is eight inches further up the birth canal in the utero? What, what's the difference? Why is it okay in the latter case and not the former cases? I trust people to determine what to do with their own bodies. Wow. Full stop. Oh, well, that's it. So she said full stop at the end. So that's that she wins. So all you get, you could say something completely stupid and uh, that doesn't make it, but as long as you say full stop at the end, full stop. See, I just did it. So it doesn't matter. Like whatever you said, just say full stop and you win the argument. Little known fact. 
Uh, but you can't, you can't answer the question, as always with the uh, pro-abortion people. They can't answer the most basic questions about their position, and it's a very good question. As was posed there, what is the principal distinction between the child immediately after birth and immediately before? Did you notice how she, she, she was even hesitant to affirm that it would be wrong to kill a 10-year-old child? There was, that, there was like a, a very noticeable, very loud moment of a, a pause, a moment of silence there, hesitation. When she was asked, well, clearly killing a 10-year-old child, we all agree. There was this pause. Well, I believe that. Yeah, I believe that's wrong. Oh, good. Well, okay. Glad, glad we're on the same page with that at least. Though probably not for very long because there is no principal distinction. That is actually the answer. And so whatever argument you make for killing the baby five seconds before the baby is born, um, that argument would apply to a child at any stage along, especially in the earliest months right after birth, because the child, you know, you you could try to uh, hinge your whole argument on the fact that the child in the womb is entirely dependent on their mother for survival, which is true, but that doesn't do, that doesn't change the fact that it's still a human being. And if your moral worth and your legal rights depend on you not being dependent upon others for survival, well, then I got bad news for people on welfare, right? I've got bad news for lots of people in this country who are dependent on others for survival, but especially newborn babies who in many ways are, you know, more, not many ways, in fact, in, in almost every way, are more demanding of their mother's time and attention and, and body and very life than the child was in the womb. Uh, now, this same activist was also asked whether men can become pregnant. And she's not a biologist as far as I know, but she still actually had an answer to this question. Let's listen. What do you say a woman is? I believe that everyone can identify for themselves. Okay. Um, do, do you believe then that men can become pregnant and have abortions? Yes. <laughs> I mean, she has no choice but to say that, of course. But she has no definition of woman. Men can become pregnant. These are, these are statements now being made in congressional hearings on the record. Now, I also, I loved, here's a moment that I, that I really like. This is kind of reversing the roles here. Now it's a pro-life person testifying and a pro-abortion uh, politician questioning her. And the pro-life person, we'll get her name in a second. I don't remember her name, but she, she does something here that, I, that I'm very glad she does. She makes a, she makes a point. She kind of has a rebuttal that's very simple, but I'm, I'm happy that she did it because it had exactly the effect that it was destined to have. Let's watch this. They called is candidly and openly calling for a nationwide ban on all abortions with no exceptions for rape or incest. And if I've got that wrong, I would invite Ms. Foster to correct me. Do I have it wrong? Yes or no? Um, if we added rape and incest exceptions, would you vote for it? Uh, okay, I, I reclaim my time, of course. There we go. Perfect. That was Catherine Glenn Foster was the uh, woman being questioned there by Representative Jamie Raskin. 
And uh, I'm so glad she responded that way. Because that's exactly what you should do. It, when, when, the, when the pro-abortion people go on and on about, oh, there's no exceptions for rape and incest. Yeah, but would it matter to you if there was? Okay, let's say that we made the exception. Would you, would you vote for it? Would it make any difference to you at all? Well, I, I, I reclaim my time. No response at all. Because, because, of course, the answer is it doesn't make a difference to them. They, they, they wouldn't make any exception. They, they don't believe in exceptions anyway. It's like, so it doesn't matter. It's an irrelevant point. So that's why you already, this is so often the case with the left when, they're, when you're engaging with the left. Um, it, there, there are so many moves that they make where if you engage, then you've already lost. So once they start going on about, should there be exceptions for rape and incest? When you engage with that, you lose. Because that's all they want to talk about. Um, and that, that's why the correct answer is, but what does that have to do with anything? Would, would it make a difference to you? No, it wouldn't. Okay, well, let's move on then. Why are we even talking about it? They do the same damn thing. They do, this, they, they do the same thing, kind of thing on every topic, but they do the same thing, of course, on gender, with transgenderism. Well, there are uh, there there are people who are who are intersex, and it could appear to be a man, but really this is a woman because of the sexual you know deformities. And okay, well, are you saying that a person who identifies a man who identifies as a woman but is not intersex doesn't count as a woman? Well, no, I'm not saying that. Okay, well then why are you talking about intersex? What does it have to do with anything? Um, Going back to the pregnant man issue, I also wanted to play this for you. A, uh, this kind of went viral yesterday. A woman who works in a birthing center was on TikTok, and uh, she would like you to know that, in fact, she has dealt with plenty of pregnant men. Thank you very much. Let's listen to her. I haven't been living under a rock. You've probably heard that we're supposed to start using terms like birthing per. As somebody who works in a birthing center and works alongside midwives, um, I had my children with midwives. My mother is a midwife. Um, you're absolutely right. You're supposed to take care of pregnant people. Um, but not all people who can give birth are women. You can call yourself whatever you want. If you have a patient who says, I am a woman giving birth, hear me roar, you can tell her that during labor. But if you're going to take care of people who can give birth, you better get rid of this rhetoric pretty quick. Because I hope you never get hired to take care of people if this is the way you think. Because to me, if I was um, a person who could give birth but didn't identify as a woman, I would not want to see you and I would not trust you. You know, that's not much of a threat. I mean, if I was uh, an OBGYN or, you know, if I, if, I, if I worked in a birthing center and uh, there's a man who claimed to be pregnant and didn't want to hire me, didn't want me, me to be involved, I'm fine with that. You know, I'd be fine with that because that man, whatever he's pregnant with, it ain't a baby. I know that. Okay. That's a guy who went a little too heavy over at Chipotle or maybe he's is some sort of alien parasitic infestation. I don't know what it is, but if he's a man, he's not pregnant. So I'm perfectly, I don't want to be in the room for that. Whatever's about to ha- whatever's about to come out and wh- wherever it's coming out, I don't want to be there for it. She also says that, uh, what, patients will say, I'm a woman giving birth. Really? Is that, do they, do they say that? Do, do women like walk into birthing centers or to the maternity wards? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a woman about to give birth. No, I don't think they like ever say that because 
everyone already understands that you're going to give birth. We already know you're a woman. You don't need to clarify that. But this is very good. You know, I think we want the left, that moment in the congressional hearing, this, like, yes, please go all in on men can give birth. Be as explicit as you could possibly be in, in, in it. Like, just tell us all about it all the time. I think very good. Please. Yeah, go with that. Please. Democrats, go with that. Finally, stand up for the pregnant men. You know, this is the the only time that people on the left will ever speak up for men. Like the only time you'll ever hear them say, well, what about men? Is when it comes to pregnancy. The only time they're worried about men being marginalized, they'll never bring it up in any other topic, in any other situation. The only time is when it comes to pregnancy. The only types of men that they'll stick up for are the pregnant ones, which don't exist. So I guess that tells you what you need to know. All right, what else do we got here? Um, how, many time, how much time do we have? Okay, so this is from MSNBC. This has kind of been circulating for a few days. I just wanted to mention this. Their headline is, How the Conservative Christian Right is hijacking homeschooling. It says, public education has become public enemy number one. Um, the actor, Kurt Cameron, opines in a promotion for the Homeschool Awakening, his documentary scheduled to hit theaters in June. The documentary, funded by the Trinity Broadcasting Network and Cameron's own CamFam Studios, argues that parents should be homeschooling their children in the wake of the pandemic. However, as Cameron's quote indicates, this latest project of conservative evangelical education is another salvo in the ongoing evangelical war against public schools. It continues, it should come as no surprise that evangelicals, fundamentalists, and other religious conservatives have fought against public education since the U.S. Supreme Court's uh, 1904 decision in Brown v. Board of Education. The prospect of integrated schools led to the creation of many segregation academies, private schools um, designed to keep African-American children undesirable immigrant groups away from white children. But there was another more insidious way to circumvent integration, homeschooling. And there we get to it. So homeschooling was invented for racist reasons. And then we hear more about how homeschooling is a conservative, Christian, racist conspiracy to destroy the public school system. And finally, it ends with this. Homeschooling may have greater appeal now because of these debates and the desire for parents to play a big part in their children's educational life. may also arise out of pandemic concerns. But parents unfamiliar with the existing networks of homeschooling run the danger of being drawn into Christian conservative networks and theocratic teaching. Cameron says, Cameron's says that, um, that people choosing homeschooling are having an awakening. But the public needs to awaken to the reality that public schools may disappear if people with his extreme beliefs have their way. I always love this. Um, as a homeschooler myself and having been, uh, spent plenty of time around homeschoolers and been to a lot of homeschooling conventions and so forth. I've spoken at homeschooling conventions. Any time, any, like this attempt to paint homeschoolers as dangerous, extreme, you know, you have to be careful. You're going to get drawn into this dangerous world of homeschooling, like it's a f- like fight club or something. And then you go and you meet homeschoolers and they're just the nicest, most polite people you'll ever meet. That's it. That's the only, I'll tell you, that's the, for me. As a cynical bastard, the only slightly weird thing about being around a lot of homeschoolers is just that they're so nice. And I'm not used to that, being around a lot of nice people. And so that's the only thing that takes some adjustment. But outside of that, just normal nice people. 
And yet, um, some of what's being claimed here is true, in a way. Nothing, not not any of the dumb stuff about racism. None of that's true. But um, homeschooling is a threat to the public school system. Yeah, it certainly is. Okay, because the public school system largely still exists because people feel they have no other option. Public school system doesn't exist now because it's doing such a great job and people are excited about it and they're excited to send their kids. Like Some parents are excited to send their kids to public school. Most are not. And the only reason it's, it exists and it continues to thrive in the way that it, that it is is because uh, people feel they have no other option. I mean, the public schools are doing a terrible job, generally speaking, of educating kids. Kids coming out of school today are, you know, you've got kids coming out of schools, they, they can barely read. They know nothing about history. They know nothing about grammar. They know, you know, they, they know a lot about all the different uh, new pronouns, but they don't know much else besides that. And this continues because people feel they have no other option. And so homeschool is a threat to the public school system because it tells parents, you do have another option. And not only that, but the other option is not, it doesn't have to be private school. Okay, it's not, it doesn't mean you got to spend 40 grand a year or something sending your kid to a super expensive private school. No, you have another option that's actually free. And that is a threat to the public school monopoly. So yeah, you're, you're damn right about that. Okay, one other thing. Um, this report here says, three paintings by titans of modern art have sold for a total of almost $166 million at auction, confirming the buoyancy of the global market. In a sale of modern art in New York on Tuesday, a total of more than $408 million was paid for, uh, for works by artists including Picasso, Monet, and then some other artists I can't pronounce. Uh, Ten works sold for more than $10 million each at an auction broadcast live on Instagram. And... Um, says, attracting nearly 20,000 viewers. Pablo Picasso's Femme Nu Couche, a sensuous depiction of the artist's muse and lover, Marie-Therese Walter, went for $67 million, one of the highest prices ever achieved for a portrait of Walter, whose relationship with Picasso began when she was 17. Okay, so this, wait a second. So that's it. That's the that's the painting right there. That's the portrait of his, what? That So he, he, he was having sex with an octopus? Is that that's the portrait of his lover? So his lover was uh, a, a SpongeBob character. I've seen more beautiful art, by the way, in a SpongeBob, like in a SpongeBob meme on Twitter, than that right there. And somebody spent sixty-seven million dollars to immortalize Pablo Picasso's octopus girlfriend. I'm sorry, I don't care. Look, it, it you, you can say all you want to. Art is subjective. No, yeah, but that's garbage is what that is. Okay, it's, it's the rule that you've heard from me before. Just like with dancing, same goes, for, and, and poetry, same goes for art. If I can do it and I could do exactly that, then it is not art. But, you know, it's sort of irrelevant because we know that uh, the modern art market is really just a big giant money laundering operation anyway. So, you know, if you're going to launder your money, then I guess why not do it with a $67 million dollar painting of a cartoon octopus. Let's get now to the comment section. If you're a man, it's required that you grow a beard. Hey, we're the sweet baby gang. Carter says, we do care about aliens. All of us conspiracy theories just, theorists just aren't on social media anymore. Well, then you need to get back on social media. 
uh, Carter, because I have, so I have someone to talk to because you're leaving me alone, all right, out there. And I want to talk about aliens and there's no one to talk about it with. So can you come back so that we can have these conversations? Um, Tie My Shoe says, I'm starting the Walsh replacement theory. Matt's insane ultra SBG pull will conquer and replace the other hosts at Daily Wire. Well, that is one replacement theory that we don't, I, I, we, we don't talk about. Um, just, let, just let it work in the background. Matt Helm says, Matt, what's more annoying for you? People who leave their shopping carts in the parking lot or men who choose the urinal right next to you in a public restroom when there are plenty of other options I can't decide? Uh, that's a tough call, you know, because these are all uh, sociopaths, but I would go with the urinal because that to me is just so egregious and I really have to start questioning your motives. I cannot understand it, but it's, it's incredibly common. This is an epidemic. I don't understand it. And it's, by the way, it's not just, I mean, it's bad enough if you're already, you're already at a urinal and there's other urinals and there's plenty of space, but then the guy comes right next to you, right? That's bad enough. But then there's also where you create this problem because maybe there are three urinals in a row and then, and you come in and there's no one at any urinal and then you go right in the middle guaranteeing that the next person who come in comes in is going to have to be next to you? Like, what's your game here? Why are you doing that? You, you have a corner spot. You have the, the sought-after corner spot all to yourself. And you go for the middle? Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Uh, Rob Coy says, this was my real reaction when seeing the video of UFOs. Not impressed. Oh, oh so you're not impressed. Okay, Rob, well, Sorry that you're not impressed. Sorry you're not impressed by um, spacecraft that have traveled across galaxies to come here. I'm sorry. It's just a, it's just a, a craft from 90 billion light years away. An entire civilization that we know nothing about traveling through our skies. I'm sorry that doesn't impress you. Let's let the aliens know. Come, you know, Rob's not impressed. He's not alone. I mean, none of no one's impressed apparently. Think of how that makes the aliens feel, too. I, that's something we didn't talk about yesterday. Is Think about how insulting this is for them. That they're coming all this way, and they're probably imagining... I mean, they've been in the spaceship for, like, for generations, probably, the amount of time it would take to traverse these distances, even if they're traveling at the speed of light somehow. And they come all this way, and they're probably imagining that when they get here, they're just like imagining how shocked everyone's going to be to finally see them. And then they get here, and everyone just goes, just keeps walking. Oh, it's aliens. Hey, what's up? Think of how insulting that is for them and how discouraging. Anticlimactic. Uh, Casey says, Matt, you're an idiot. She-Hulk is canonical. She's literally in the comics, an actual superhero. You have no idea what you're talking about. Well, I admit I have no idea what I'm talking about with She-Hulk because I'm a grown 35-year-old man. And so that's why I admit, yeah, I don't, my my She-Hulk knowledge knowledge leaves a lot to be desired, I suppose. Um, what do you mean she's canonical? What is this? Holy Scripture? Like, she's canonical? What does that even mean? She's an actual superhero? No, she's not. She's, she's made up. What do you mean an actual superhero? She's not real. I don't know if you know that. And I don't care if she's in the comics or not. That doesn't mean that we need to have a film about her. It's not an interesting concept, okay? Like, we've seen it. We get it. How many times? Let me, Casey, i to ask you this. When is it enough? How many times do you need to see the same story over and over again? 
because it's literally just the same story. Every superhero movie, people debate, what's the best superhero movie? They're all the same. It's just the same story every time. Someone who's stronger than the average person, he has superpowers. Like, it's the same story arc, the same story over and over. And we just travel that arc back and forth back, forever. You've seen it 70 times in 70 different films. How many more do you need? Before we can say to Hollywood together as one collective voice, we get it, guys. We've seen it. Good stuff. Let's move on. There are other kinds of stories you could be telling. I think uh, America would be a much smarter place if we spent more time reading, less time watching She-Hulk. And today is the day to start because at 7 p.m. Eastern is a live signing of Jonathan Isaac's new book, Why I Stand, published by DW Books. Isaac was the lone NBA player not to kneel for the national anthem during a league-wide demonstration in support of Black Lives Matter. His, his story is courageous. It's also inspiring. The live signing happens on the Premier Collectibles YouTube channel. To get your signed copy and a chance to ask Jonathan a question, go to premiercollectibles.com Isaac. And after that at 8 p.m. is ben, ben Shapiro's third Thursday book club. Ben's going to take you through Herman Melville's classic Moby Dick. You can go over his notes and analysis and uh, take your questions as well. Check it out. I want to tell you about my third Thursday book club. This is not your average book club. These are the greatest books in the history of Western literature. We're going to dive into the greatest works of all time. These are the books that helped form the key pillars of Western civilization and helped define America. And we're going to do it live with thousands of you, our Daily Wire members. I'm going to be your personal guide. I've read every one of these books. I'm going to draw out the important lessons and themes from every book. Plus, I'm going to be answering your questions along the way. So we actually do read the book together. You join the book club, you are going to get smarter. You're going to get more knowledgeable. Because this is an investment in your most valuable asset. Your mind. The third Thursday book club. It's going to change the way you think. This is not like any other book club you've ever been a part of. To join Third Thursday Book Club, head over to dailywire.com slash subscribe, where uh, new members get 20% off with Code Shapiro, and be sure to join Ben tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern for his Third Thursday Book Club. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Well, our daily cancellation today begins with a woman named Joe Lumen, who uh, identifies herself as a pastor and a theologian. That'll prove to be, as we'll see, an absurd self-identification, even by today's standards, it's still pretty absurd. In her Twitter bio, Joe describes herself, her mission this way. She says, decolonizing faith and spirituality, dismantling oppression and toxic theology. She goes by she, they pronouns, by the way, in case you were interested. And she is also on the board of directors as a parent board trustee of a charter school in San Diego called the Elevate School. And that last detail, her status as a parent board trustee, is especially disturbing, and you'll soon see why, if you don't already see it. In any case, it would appear that um, yesterday Joe was playing in some kind of game show where contestants are challenged to compose and then post the most inflammatory, stupid, morally vacuous tweet they possibly can. We can assume that she took home the million-dollar prize with this effort. She tweeted, I would rather get an abortion than have a brown child who ends up being adopted by white evangelicals. It's not a kindness to children of the global majority to give them to people who will traumatize them with self and ancestral hatred. An abortion is an act of love. Yes, Joe thinks it's better for a black child to be killed than adopted by white parents. Bad news for Colin Kaepernick and for many millions of other people who, according to Joe, would be better off dead. And notice how quickly the narrative shifted from pro-lifers are hypocrites who oppose abortion but refuse to adopt children 
to now pro-lifers are colonizers who adopt children. Quick, let's kill all the babies before they get a chance. There's more to say here, but first let's review the entire exchange that followed. Um, I responded to Joe's tweet in my usual subtle, gentle fashion, writing, so you're a racist along with being a homicidal, soulless, baby-killing ghoul. Got it. Thanks. Joe immediately sensed the opportunity to make herself the victim, and she wrote back, no, not this quote-tweeting me. I'm literally freaking out about, about the hatred I'm about to get for sharing my own choice, and I won't be silenced. I won't delete my post. I stand by what I said. A few minutes later, she posted again, emphasizing the point, I'm genuinely panicking. Last time a conservative like Ali Beth Stuckey and Matt Walsh quote-tweeted me, I got death threats with my address and the names of my children, and I won't be silenced, but I'm begging them to please tell their followers to be decent. Be decent, she cries. Cries the woman specifically who just said she'd rather suck her child's brains out of his skull than allow him to live with a white family. Be decent, damn you! Can't you see that decency is her highest priority? Well, her first priority is uh, keeping her children away from races she despises, even if that requires her to kill and dismember them. But after that, she really cares about the whole decency thing. Now, Joe's fellow blue-check feminists came to her aid, including a woman named Jen Morrison, who's a freelance writer for the New York Times and other outlets as well. She commented, you might consider locking your account just for a little bit. I watched Walsh encourage his followers to continue attacking a suicidal woman. They aren't relentless. I'm so sorry. Now, it's true that the sweet baby gang is relentless, but nothing else she said approaches the vicinity of the truth. I, of course, have never told anybody to attack a suicidal woman. In fact, I've never encouraged anyone to attack anyone. So I asked Jen to produce evidence, screenshot, clip, something, to back up her defamatory claim about me. But Jen informed me that she doesn't want to mention the name of my alleged victim or produce evidence that this event occurred because that would be really painful for the woman. So we just have to take her word for it. As somebody in the comments pointed out, this is like the feminist Twitter version of, yeah, I totally have a girlfriend, but she goes to a different school, except with an added dose of defamation towards me in this case. Okay, now, a few points. First, this is the leftist MO, right? Most especially the feminist leftist MO. A tale as old as time. Empowered feminist woman says something utterly vile and insane. People on the internet point out that it's vile and insane. Empowered feminist woman immediately becomes a fainting damsel in distress, crying that she's being attacked and her feelings are hurt. We might dub this the Taylor Lorenz maneuver. And a vital part of this maneuver, of course, is the claim that you're getting death threats, but to never produce a single screenshot of any of those threats. It's very nice of these ladies, too, I guess. I mean, they're getting thousands of death threats, but they respect the privacy of the people threatening them with death so they don't post the screenshots. Like, ever. They just never do. They never produce any evidence of any of these deaths. They're getting death threats every day. We never see any of them. I mean, you would think if people are sending you death threats, um, you'd have a lot of incentive to post it and like put their name out there and everything. And I, I don't know. I guess they're just being very considerate. Second, it's true that my initial response to Joe was um, quite aggressive, let's just say, and, uh, and insulting as well. I mean, I did call her a ghoul after all. And in a follow-up tweet, I also called her a goblin. And really, any monstrous creature from fantasy novels could work here. Ghoul, goblin, troll, vampire, werewolf, I mean, whatever you want to do. Um, the comparison works in any of those cases, but, but, but should I, especially as a Christian, be speaking to and about people this way? That's the question. And the answer is yes. Absolutely, I should. And so should you. It's essential that we do not allow ourselves to become numb to evil. 
We have to see it for what it is and respond to it accordingly. This woman said out loud that she would rather kill her children than let a loving white family adopt them. That's not simply an opposing viewpoint. It's not just an opinion. It's not just like some idea. It is pure, unadulterated evil. It's just about the worst thing a human being could possibly say or think. And my fear is that living in this twisted culture where, where uh, you know, evil straight from the bowels of hell has been normalized and mainstream, we may not have the kind of gut-level emotional reaction to it that we ought to have. And that's why we should respond harshly and severely. Here's another good rule of thumb. Got a lot of them. When you, when you hear someone on the left say something disgusting and psychotic, imagine how people 70 years ago would have responded to that statement and respond like they would have responded. Third and final point. Joe says she wants to decolonize faith. Well, this is ironic because, of course, she's doing exactly the opposite. To colonize something is to establish political control over it. So leftists are engaged in a kind of ideological colonization, attempting to establish ideological control over countries, institutions, cultures, and religions, especially Christianity. You know, they hang the pride flag on embassies in countries that have no interest in LGBT pride. They force gender neutrality into foreign languages that are inherently gendered. They insist that everything conform to their ideology, and they pervert and corrupt Christianity in an attempt to turn it into not just a different faith, but into its own opposite. Joe and her comrades envision a Christianity where the self, not Christ, sits at the center. The highest love is self-love in their version of Christianity. Anything done for the sake of the self is good. Abortion is an act of love, she says. And she means that it's an act of love for the self because it is service to the self. She flips Christianity on its head, makes it into Satanism, and then accuses everybody else of colonizing the faith. But that's exactly what she is doing, of course. And that is why she is today, finally, canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, production manager Pavel Vodowski. Our associate producer is McKenna Waters. The show is edited by Robbie Dantzler. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. And hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. John Bickley here, Daily Wire Editor-in-Chief. Wake up every morning with our show, Morning Wire, where we bring you all the news that you need to know in 15 minutes or less. Join me and my co-host, Georgia Howe, for daily coverage of all the biggest stories on Morning Wire. 